Ephesians chapter 4. I hope you've got an outline tonight where there's some available if you still haven't picked one up. Remember that last week we said in the first uh, three chapters is, is the first half of the book deals with what? The word that starts with D. Doctrine. The second half of the book deals with what else? Duty. So the first half of the book is what we believe. Second half of the book is how we are to behave. And so we, we've crossed that dividing point now. So chapter 4, 5, and 6 deals more with how we are to behave and how we're to serve the Lord. And that is certainly true uh, in tonight's text, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 7. Last week we learned from the first six verses uh, that we're to live together in unity. And we talked a good deal about that last week, about the need for unity and how we get unity and the importance of unity. In today's text, Paul moves from what all Christians have in common to how we differ with each other. Paul says uh, that there must be a, a variety and individuality within the unity of the Spirit. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about tonight, God has given each believer at least one spiritual gift. Now, let, let me put a parenthesis there and pause for a moment. Uh, this fall, Lord willing, I, I may be doing a series on spiritual gifts, so what I'm going to be sharing tonight, you may hear again in some form or fashion, parts of it at least. I debated about whether just to skip this portion and go on to another part, uh, but I thought, well, we can, we can hit this tonight, uh, not really go real deep with it, and then come back later. And, and uh, there's some other texts that we'll be looking at as well if we do uh, do a study of spiritual gifts. But this will be a good introduction for you. Uh, how God has given at least one spiritual gift to every believer to be used for unifying and building up the body of Christ. I want you to pause with me. Uh, I need your prayers, and I hope that, that you'll pray with me and for me as we prepare to teach tonight. Now, Father, we come before your presence and we know that your word is true and your word is applicable and your word is real. We know, Father, that your word brings forth life change. And as we're studying tonight, I pray for your spirit to speak through my spirit and that you'd put your words in my mouth. I pray you'd do what I can't do. I pray, Father, you'd be the teacher tonight, you'd be the guide, and I pray, Father, for uh, you to open our, our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what you want to say. In Christ's name I pray, amen. There's an old guy who always cut wood with an axe, and if you've ever done that, that's very tiring work, very difficult work to cut wood with an axe, and, but that's, he'd grown up all of his life doing that. And uh, sometime, uh, one day, uh, some of his friends finally convinced him to go buy a chainsaw and told him how much easier it would be on him and how much more he could do, so he did. He went and bought the chainsaw, and, and he, he took it home, and, and he used it for about a week, and he came back and he said, I, I, I'm going to return this. this. This is just no good. And the guy said, well, what's wrong? He says, I can only cut about half of what I was cutting with my axe. I, I want my money back. This chainsaw is no good. And the, the guy said, well, let me look at it. And he picked it up and went, ring, ring, ring. And he looked at the old man. The old man looked at the chainsaw and said, what's that noise? Some of you get that on the way home. 
if you don't use something the way it was designed to be used, it's not very productive. And that's true, especially true, when we think about God's church. Now tonight as we talk for a few minutes about spiritual gifts, I want to make four summary statements before we even get into the text to help you understand what I mean And I believe what the Bible means by spiritual gifts. Here's the four summary statements, and they're on your outline. I want you to fill in the blanks as we go. Number one, uh, we must make a distinction between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. Make a clear distinction in your mind between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. Uh, You are born with certain natural abilities. Some are born with the natural ability to sing. Some are born athletic. Some are born very mechanical. Uh, Some are born very artistic. Uh, If we had the time, we could just go around and say, you know, kind of what are your natural abilities? And you could tell us what your natural abilities are. And and it's interesting, we are not all created equal. Some of us are smarter, stronger, more talented than others. And you look at some people and say, man, they they can play sports, they can sing, they can do this, they can do that. It's just, just amazing sometimes at how gifted some people are. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. We are not talking about natural abilities. Number two, summary statement. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability. Put that in your notes. Spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about a God-given ability to do something for the kingdom. And I'll put a little more meat on that in a moment, but I just want you to see the, the, the distinction between natural gifts, something you're born with, and spiritual gifts, something God gives you when you're born again. So, you got that? Something you're born with, natural gifts, something you get when you're born again, are spiritual gifts. Number three, summary statement, gifts are best discovered and developed within the context of a local church. Now, you can discover your gifts outside this church. There's no doubt about that. But gifts are best discovered and uh, developed within the context of a local church. And I believe you'll see why in just a few moments as we look at our text. And number four, there are three lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. I've given you a long blank there so you can write down all these reference points and you can go back and study those if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 31. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31. Romans 12, 3 through 8. And Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. You might want to put in parentheses besides that. Beside that, there's another reference that deals with spiritual gifts in the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And when you look at all of those gifts and compare them, one of the things that you'll discover is that they're not identical. It's interesting how the New Testament writers would list these are some of the gifts, and when you compare the gifts, they differ. Some of them are similar, like the gift of service perhaps is on every one of them, the gift gift of evangelism. Uh, But some of the, the gifts are longer or shorter than the other list. And the reason for that is because, more than likely, the lists that we have in the Bible are not intended to be exhaustive. And so we don't have one long list of, here's the spiritual gifts God gives you. In fact, 
Well, when I was doing my studies in spiritual gifts, I, uh, there was all kinds of different numbers that people threw around, that wrote books about, you know, 19, 12, 38, all kinds of different numbers that people would make about how many spiritual gifts are there. Uh, but I want you to at least see in the Scripture the list and where you can find them for yourself where spiritual gifts are given in the New Testament. Now, with that as an introduction, let's look at our text tonight in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7, we'll read the first three verses, and then we'll dig in. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, we start out here in this text with, with a difficult scripture. A difficult scripture to teach and a difficult scripture to understand. First of all, he says, to each one of us, grace has been given. Now, put this, there's not a fill in the blank anywhere for this, but put this somewhere in a blank or in a, on your notes there. Grace is the word charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Grace is the word charis. C-H-R-I-S. Spiritual gifts is the Greek word charismata. C-H-R-I-S-M-A-T-A. Charismata. That's the Greek word for spiritual gifts. So what, the, what this word is explaining to us in, in verse 7, each one of us, grace has been given. He's not thinking about grace as, you know, I'm a sinner and I need grace, but he's talking about gifts of grace. Gifts that God gives us out of sheer grace to serve Him. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts, and that's what he means in verse 7. So let's look at number one on your notes. Christ is the giver of spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. Christ is the giver of spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 7. The wording is very deliberate. It says in verse 7, to each one of us. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to answer out loud, see if this makes sense to you. Could he have said it this way? To all of us, grace has been given. That, that would have made sense, wouldn't it? Now, would that have been theologically correct? To all of us, grace has been given. Yes, it would have been theologically correct. So why did he take the time to write it out this way? To each one of us. I believe the reason is this. If he would simply said to all of us, grace or spiritual gifts have been given, uh, it would kind of be easy to get lost in the crowd. It would kind of be easy to say, well, they got it, they got it, he got it, she got it, but... Paul wants to emphasize we each have that gift or gifts. So he says to each one. You see, just like tonight, I could say all of us. And that includes you, but, but it may not hit you like it should. But if I said to each one of us, if I start pointing you out, then it's more individual. And so that's what he says. To each one of us, grace has been given. But now notice who the giver is. This is... This is fascinating. To each one of us, grace has been given. What's those next words? As Christ apportioned it. Spiritual gifts are not given to some and withheld from others. They're, 
Certainly some gifts are more visible than others. Certainly some gifts are more noticeable. But every member of the body of Christ has been given at least one spiritual gift to contribute to the cause of Christ. No, one's ever, no one is overlooked. God has a gift and a purpose and a plan for every one of us. And some people have the mistaken idea that, only, that God uh, only has a, a gift and a purpose and a plan for, you know, preachers and missionaries and evangelists, but... Friend, that's not biblical. All of us have been given a a spiritual gift. And it's interesting who gave it to us. To me, it's very fascinating. It says Christ apportioned it to us. Christ is the one who has decided the gift or gifts that you receive. Now, I've studied this for many years, and I I, I don't know uh, how he makes that decision. One, one of the spiritual gifts that my wife has, and, and she'll fuss at me for talking about her, but I, I'm not going to talk about her much. Uh, but one of the spiritual gifts that my wife has is the pastor-shepherd gift. Now, that doesn't mean that she's equipped to be a pastor, or like you would think of me. I'm not talking about a, that in any form or fashion. But the pastor-shepherd gift is a gift where, where you care about people. You, you want to check up on people. You, you want to take care of people. It's just, just like a shepherd takes care of sheep. Uh, she has this desire. She has this giftedness to care about people. She's all the time asking me, have you seen so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? How's so-and-so doing? And, and it's most of the time people I haven't even thought about, but that little pastor shepherd antenna is doing this all the time. And she's all the time looking for hurting people and wanting to help people and, and check up on people and... You know, that's just the way God has gifted her. Now, I don't know why God gave her that gift. I'm glad he did. It's very helpful to me in ministry. Uh, She's a great partner for me in ministry. But why did he give her that gift? I don't know, except this. Verse 7 says, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So think about this. Let's not talk about her now. Let's talk about you. What if... What if God has decided, just like her, he's got a gift he wants you to use too? And for some of you, it's more than one. For some, you have more than one spiritual gift. But, but isn't it amazing that God has taken the time to say, okay, this is the way I'm going to wire you. This is the way I'm going to wire you up. This is the way I'm going to equip you so that you can serve me in the kingdom work that I want you to do. But some of us have a hard time believing that, don't we? Some of us really have a hard time with that. Yeah, I, I heard about this little girl who's watching her, her mother put cold cream on her face. Do, do ladies still do that? Ladies, do you put cold cream on your face? Huh? No? Does any, any ladies here, do you put cold cream on your face? Help me out here. All right, thank you. We got one, so... At least I know this is accurate. Well, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. At least I know that, that there is such a thing as cold cream. Because I read this story and it's like, really? <laughs> but this lady was putting cold cream on her face and her daughter was watching her little girl. She was fascinated by it. Didn't know what she was doing and why she was doing it. And, and so she asked her mom what she was doing. And he said, why do you do that? Why do you put that on your face? She said, I do it to make myself beautiful. Then she began to wi- the mom began to wipe it off. And the little girl looked at her and said, what's the matter? Why are you giving up? (laughs) 
That's what some people do in church. They're giving up. They have a desire to serve God, and they have in their mind what that looks like. If I'm going to serve God, this is, the way, that's what it would, this is what it would look like. God can't use me unless I can teach. God can't use me unless I can preach. God can't use me unless I can sing. God can't use me unless it looks like this. And because it, your giftedness doesn't look like that, it's easy just to give up and say, well, others have it. I don't have anything to do for God. I don't have anything I can do for God's kingdom. Friend, I'm here to tell you that if you are born again, then you have something you can and should do for God's kingdom. The good news is that God didn't just enlist every believer into service, but He gives believers the gifts they need to serve Him. Now, we're going to get into the difficult part of that text. And we're not going to take a lot of time here because, just to be honest with you, uh, I'm not exactly sure that I can tell you what these verses mean. I can give you two options. But I'm not sure I can exactly explain it to you, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, look what it says, verse 7. But to each one of us, that's, that's you and me, grace, spiritual gifts, have been given as Christ apportioned it. Now that verse is not hard to understand. We got that now. Verse 8 is where it gets difficult. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now, this is a quotation from Psalm 68, 18. We know that for sure. This is a quotation from Psalm 68, verse 18, a psalm that David wrote to celebrate the conquest of Jerusalem. Paul takes Psalm 68, verse 18, and he uses it as an image to show that Jesus is also a conquering hero. But, now what does he mean when he said, He ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, he explains it a little bit, but it still is hard for us to understand. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? In other words, in order to ascend, you also have to descend. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, what in the world is that meaning? Well, there's two options, and uh, you can just kind of jot this down just in some space there or on the back or something. There's two options to, to try to help us understand this verse. Some say that this is referring to the time when Jesus, after his death and before his resurrection, when he went to Sheol to preach to the prisoners in Sheol. Put down another reference there that you can look up uh, later. First uh, Peter 3, verse 18 through 20. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 through 20. Uh, that during this time, he went to Sheol to preach triumph over, his triumph over death and the grave, and that he led the captives of Sheol, the Old Testament saints, those who had believed in him, he led them uh, to heaven. And that would be what he's talking about when he said he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So some say this is referring to the time when when he descended into Sheol after his death, before his resurrection, where he preached to the Old Testament saints. Another possible interpretation is this, that this is referring to a time after his death and his resurrection. After his death, after his resurrection, it just simply re referring to the time where he returned to heaven to celebrate his victory over death, sin, hell, and the grave. 
And if you take that stance, then the, the phrase, the lower parts of the earth, would refer to, or the lower earthly regions, in verse 9, it would refer to his grave, that he was lowered into the earthly regions. Now, I, I don't know which it is. I have a hunch on which it is, but because I don't know which it is, uh, we're going to move on, and I'm going to let you decide. Okay? Now, the point is this. Here's the reason that, that those verses are, are significant for us. Verse 11. It was he. Who's he? Jesus. And, and it, the one. Listen to this. It was either the one who, who, during his time in the grave, he went to hell to preach to the prisoners there and deliver them, or the one who, after his grave and resurrection, went to heaven to celebrate his victory over death, hell, heaven, death, hell, and the grave. In verse 11 it says, it was he, this one who was victorious. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, Keith, why, why is this important to us that we understand this section here? You need to remember something and please don't ever forget it. Especially if you're one of those people who feel like, you know, God hasn't gifted me and God can't use me and God, you know, all those kind of things. You need to remember something very important. If God is big enough to save you, then He is big enough to use you. Let that sink in for a moment. If God is big enough to save you, He's big enough to use you. I don't know how many times over the years I've I've heard people talk about you know, I just don't have anything that I can do for God. I, I just, I don't, I don't have any, any special ability. I just don't have very much I can do for God. You know what? You're saying more about your belief in Jesus than you are saying about yourself. You're saying, yeah, Jesus can die on the cross and Jesus can save my soul, but he's just not powerful enough to equip me to do anything for him. That's wrong. That is flat out wrong. Christ has given you at least one spiritual gift to use for his kingdom. And if we do the series in the fall, uh, I'll go into that in in more greater detail. But let's go to number two on your notes. Christ gives leaders to prepare us to serve. It says that when he created the church, he gave various types of leaders. What are the four types of leaders listed in verse 11, the first part of verse 12? What are the four types of leaders listed there? All right. You can take these four leaders, and they're listed there. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And you can really divide them into three categories. You might want to jot this down. There, there are those who have authority. Who's I'm sorry. Those whose authority was accepted in every church. Those were the apostles. The apostles were those who had authority anywhere they went because they were the original followers of Jesus Christ. So when they, whenever they traveled from town to town to place to place, they had authority in every church. They were the leaders because they were there in the beginning. Then the second grouping is those who have a wandering ministry. We would characterize those as the, the prophets and the evangelists. They have a wandering ministry. They, they would go from place to place, from city to city, from church to church. They, they had a wandering ministry. And then there were those who had a local ministry confined to one place. These would be the pastors and the teachers. 
Christ gave the church various types of leaders, but the task that he gave them did not vary. What is the task according to verse 12? The first part of verse 12. What's the task of the leaders that God gives the church? I think you said it. I'm assuming you said it. To prepare God's people for works of service. To prepare is an interesting word. It's the Greek word kardikismo. Sometimes it's used or translated to equip. Kardikismo is the same word used in the New Testament to describe the mending of a fishing net. Fishing net is broken, it's torn, it has to be mended. That's kardikismo, that is equipping. That is preparing this net to be used the way it was designed to be used. Kardikismo, preparing the net so it can be used the way it was designed to be used. It's, it's also a word that would be used to describe a broken bone that is, that is set so it can function properly again. Anybody ever broken a bone? Raise your hand if you... Alright? Uh, the only thing that I know... I, I might have broken a toe. You know, you never know for sure if your toe is broken. But the only bone that I've ever had broken that I know was broken was a broken nose. And the reason I know that it was broken is because I was there when it happened. I was playing softball one Sunday afternoon, and this cute little blonde girl named Vicky, I was catching the ball, and I was hind catching, and she was batting, and, and she swung and missed, and swung and missed, and swung and missed, and eventually she swung and hit. And she was so excited when she swung and hit, I stood up about the time that she swung backwards. And that bat went right across my face, knocked two teeth loose, and broke my nose. I started dating her after that. I really did. Knocked some sense into me. Uh, but I had to go to the doctor, and they had to get a uh, plastic surgeon, or to the hospital. Good plastic surgeon came in, and he said, I'm going to have to set that broken nose. You don't ever want a doctor to tell you that. It is not a pleasant experience. I heard it crack and pop and all that kind of, and I felt it too. And, uh, but you know what he did for me? He did what the New Testament is talking about here. He prepared it to put it back into place, to put it the way it's designed to be. And God says in this text right here, he said, to prepare God's people, to mend the net, to set the broken bone, to, to get them ready, to prepare God's people for works of service. The pastors were not given to the church simply to do ministry. That's the, the pastor's job is to train the people to do ministry, to do, prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I wonder... I wonder what, would, what it would be like if in the church everybody believed, number one, that they were gifted, and if every person said, Pastor, would you help prepare me to do what God has called me to do? You see, there's this, and I'm not just talking about Mount Airy, uh, because I think Mount Airy is a wonderful church, but, but, it, but in all churches I've ever been in, there is a spectator mentality in the church. 
the spectator mentality kind of goes like this. Well, you know, there's, now I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is the way people view it. The spectator mentality says, basically, you know, there's only certain people who, who can do ministry. It's the professionals. Well, they've been to seminary, and they, they've been trained and, and called and gifted, and they're the only ones that really do ministry. And what our job is, everybody else, if you're not one of those, your job is to come watch the show. And you, you support and help pay the bills and watch the show. And if ministry needs to be done, you could call the pastor because that's his job. And if the church gets too big and he can't do it all, then we call other professionals to come in and help the, help the pastor because that's kind of the job of, of the ministers. It's, it's to do the work of the ministry. And, and everybody else is spectators who cheers them on, thanks them, pay, pays the bills, prays for them, and say, we'll be back next Sunday. Hope the show's good next week, too. But that is not biblical Christianity, because here's what it says, verse 12. And he gave pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, everybody say all, until we all, not just the pastors, not just the staff, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Which brings me to number three on your outline. Christ gives the church a plan to be prosperous. You know, most people want their church to grow. They want their church to grow numerically as well as spiritually, but in order for the church to be prosperous, it's got to function the way it was designed to function. Have you ever tried to hit a... Uh, a baseball with a golf club. It just doesn't work. You probably have, haven't you, Charles? It, it just doesn't work very good. Now, c- is it possible? Is it possible to hit a, uh, a softball with a golf club? Yeah. Is it going to work very well? No. Wasn't designed to, to do that. Is it possible to hit a golf ball with a softball bat? Oh, yeah. You've done that probably, haven't you? But now, it's, it's one thing to toss it up and to hit it this way. It's quite another thing to be on the tee and use the golf ball or softball bat to hit the golf ball. Probably not going to work exactly the way you want it to. The Bible teaches that the growth and the health of the church really depends on if we function the way we're designed to function. Now, Note the progression. A healthy church is, is designed to grow. Look at, write this down. There's no fill in the blanks. But just write this on your notes, and then we're going to close out. And I'm going to let you go home early. All right. The church is designed to grow. Number one, we're designed to grow in unity. Verse 13a. We're designed to grow into unity. Until we all reach unity. We're to grow in unity. Number two, we're to grow spiritually. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. We're to grow in unity. We're to grow spiritually. We're also to grow numerically. Verse 16. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're to grow numerically. It grows. Did you know that every living thing grows? And if it's not growing, 
dead. There's a lot of dead churches in Southern Baptist Convention right now. A lot of dead churches in South Carolina Baptist Convention. And I do not say that critically. I do not say that condemningly. I say that to simply point out the fact that many of our churches simply are not functioning the way God's designed them to function. And we're to grow in fellowship as well. He says in the second part of verse 16, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And I love this last part. Builds itself up in love. Read this out loud if you have the NIV. Here it is. Builds itself up in love. Read this out loud. As each part does its work. I want you to notice that the condition for a growing, healthy, productive church depends on each person participating. As each part does its work. Does its work. Let that sink in. The growth mentioned in verses 12 through 16 is promised on this condition. As each part does its work. So long as you are a member of this body and physically able, God has something for you to do. And the vitality of our church and the productiveness of our church does not depend just upon who is in the pulpit. It does not depend on who is on staff. It does, it is affected by that, no doubt about it. But, but it also depends on you. As each part does its work. God has planned for His church to prosper. Think about that for a moment. God has planned for His church to prosper. And the thing that's needed for it to prosper is each part doing their part. You know why? Because that's when we are the body of Christ. When we're the body of Christ, each part doing their part, then we can do what God has intended us to do. Amen? Let me pray with you. With your heads bowed, before we pray. Are you involved in a ministry? Are you involved in serving in some way? Are you doing your part? Or are you just a faithful spectator? Now, you're faithful because you're here tonight. And I'm grateful that you're here tonight. But we desire, and more importantly, God desires for you to serve the Lord. Not just come worship the Lord. Worship is important. Worship is vital to your life. But there also has to be a time when you're serving the Lord. Because you are part of the body of Christ. And you will either contribute to the health of our church by your participation or you will weaken it by your inactivity. And so maybe this evening, this prayer for you would be, Lord, show me where to serve. Show me how you have gifted me. 
Show me what I can do for your kingdom. And I pray, Father, you'll do that for each of us. For each one of us. Because each one of us has been gifted by you. And may you use us in your kingdom and for your glory and for your work. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.